Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. And once again, I feel like we could just say, break huddle, go home. (laughs) Thank you, worship team. Eyes fixed on Christ. And He is our hope, isn't He? We can sing and we can live. It is well with my soul because we have a Redeemer, a Savior, a faithful friend in Jesus Christ. And He promises to never leave us, to walk step by step through this journey. But we have some awesome truth to dive into today, and so we'll keep rolling. Before we dig into our, our text for the day, our purified text, wanted to just encourage us in the realm of our, our uh, Go Bless initiative. This year we're praying, Lord, would you make me a, purify my heart so that I might be a blessing? Then we go out just praying, Lord, make me a blessing. And as our elders gathered for our vision retreat a couple weeks ago, we, all, we were six, week, six months away from finish line, so we're right in the middle of the year. And so we just went around the table and said, all right, everyone throw out what's the one thing that you would say would help us finish strong as a church family in this initiative. And it was interesting what emerged. I didn't expect it, but I needed it. And it's been energizing me since. And so the big idea is, you said, okay, who in our realm of influence might not know Christ, might be a neighbor, might be a coworker, whatever, that we could be a blessing to and maybe help share our faith with them. So that's good. And we said, let's continue to do that. But let the focus of our life be staying awake to the person right in front of us that God's placed there in his providential sovereign plan and be a blessing to them. And yeah, often I pray, Lord, would you bless what I'm doing rather than praying, Lord, what are you blessing? And help me just get on board with what that is. And it hit me, that's that's the focus. And so I, I share that with you. And one illustration, painful illustration out of my life was when our, uh, this fall, I knew this was coming, this series, and like, all right, ready to, to just go hard to be a blessing. And the house next door went up for sale. Was so excited. Yes, we're going to have a new opportunity to bless these neighbors. And so I'm picturing, we started praying, Lord, make us a blessing to them. And then I'm just seeing these visions of, you know, helping them carry the couch with one hand as I'm delivering a warm meal with the other, you know, and fresh chocolate chip cookies coming in, you know, and just blessing them like they've never been blessed. And so we're ready. We're praying. We're, you know, people show up to look at the house like, all right, this might be them. We get to be a blessing to them. Well, it would just so happened that we were nowhere to be found as they moved in. They moved in stealth, and like, we missed it. So we're going to um, bring some cookies that first week. I go to, like, I'm going to own this, and I should have had Tam do it. She's the expert at it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and uh, bake the cookies. I'll do it. Burn them. So, ah, we'll do it next week. Try that again. October turned to November, turned to December, and to my horror, One day, we opened our front door, and there hanging on the door was a bag of Christmas treats from our new neighbor. They blessed us before we could bless them. And to make matters worse, he shoveled my sidewalk. (laughs) I was so ticked. I'm like, I am a go-bless loser. I'm supposed to be leading this charge, and I'm a loser. Ah. Well, I'm... (laughs) 
the two batches of cookies later, I ruined, we finally delivered some warm cookies to them and got to know, or introduced ourselves, and, and we were able to, to hopefully have a friendship with them. But uh, what hit me was, okay, so I, I blew it with blessing the neighbor, but the Lord just whispered, John, in those three months, how many precious people did I put in your path? Right there in front of you, every day. You know, like people like basketball team, like Luke and, and Nolan and uh, your own family, like your daughter and, and your wife and your small group and, and the staff here at church. How many, and the stranger that, you know, is driving in front of me. How many people have I put in front of you? Just be faithful to bless them. And, and I'll do my work. Now, you can make your own plan and Try that. See how that works. Go for it. That's good, right? <laughs> Take initiative. Stretch our comfort zones. Do all that. But really, if we're just faithful to like, keep in step with what he's doing, he's sovereignly, providentially orchestrating our paths to bless along the way. Isn't that energizing and kind of freeing? It, it was to me. So I encourage, encourage you with that. And so today, though, we move into... Week number eight of our 10-week purified journey. And I hope I didn't knock on wood back at the start when I said every Sunday we're going to have a reason not to show up as the weather just keeps doing what it's doing. You have come through sleet. You've come through rain. You've come through ice. You've come through snow. And today you've come through some 50-mile-an-hour winds. So thank you guys for, for being here. So I woke up this morning and heard a sound that maybe you heard. First time I've ever heard the house we're in now, like, uh, crack, not crack, but what's the word? Um, kind of like move in the in the wind or whatever. And like thinking, whoa. One of the ways God communicates to us is through creation, revealing His power. And it just made me think again. You know, I, first, the pneuma of God, the Holy Spirit. When the church was birthed, it was what was the sound they heard? They saw fire and they heard wind. And it just reminded me, man, when the wind of God is at our back, when we're setting the sails of our soul to catch his wind, we're going. <laughs> and that's the Holy Spirit enabling us to do what God's called us to do, to be who God's called us to be. But the other thing that hit me was the teaching of Jesus, especially as we come to the text today, Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus said, the person who hears my word, my teaching, and puts these words into practice is like a person who builds their house on a rock. And when the storms come, the waters rise, and the winds, and if you read the text, when the winds smash against it, that house stands. And what are the winds of life? They're trials, but, but really it's the enemy trying to take us out. And what a comfort to know we have the words of God. And if we'll do them, we're going to stand, you guys. Today we're going to get into some tough truth, and sometimes there's that whisper, you can't. You can't overcome whatever it is that's, that's seeking to take you out or derail, derail your life mission. You can, based on the authority of Jesus Christ, but we have to do them. But then the, the scary picture is the rest of that where Jesus says, but the person who doesn't do the words that I've given you, you, you hear them, but you don't put them into practice, is like a person who builds their house on the sand, and when the waters rise, storms come, and the wind hits against the side of that house, it collapses with a great crash. That's the, the, enemy, the, the goal of the enemy of our, of our soul is to see your life, your family, 
your uh, life mission end in a great crash. And every, it seems like every week we're hearing another crash, right? Even yesterday with um, the news of the Patriots owner and just heartbreaking for their family, praying for him, but $6 billion, he's untouchable, right? Just won the Super Bowl, untouchable. But when are we most vulnerable in our lives? Often at our moment of greatest success. And now his house is crashing, right? Leaving a legacy that he didn't want to leave for his grandkids and his kids. But there's hope. But it means putting the Word of God into practice. So as we open His Word, the challenge is let's put these words into practice so that our our lives might stand for His glory. So our launchpad text today is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And this is one of those verses that you could just soak in. It's at the end of a thought, and Paul says, says, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends. And so he's saying, okay, based on what I've just been talking about, and if you go back to what he just said, there's a gallery full of priceless promises, three of which are especially beautiful. The first is where in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, he says, all those who are in Christ are new new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. The idea is when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are a new person in him, a new capacity to follow him and, and to do what's right. But then he follows that up in verse 18 as he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so this is, that word reconcile is the word make peace. And it's just reminding us the only way we have peace with God is because he took the first move. We were dead in our ability to respond to him, but but he made us alive in Christ. He opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel and to to put our faith and trust in in what Christ did for us in the cross. And then he says, now, you have the the ministry of reconciliation, meaning you can go share this good news with those around you. And then he lists some promises. And right up to the one right before the text we just read, and I'll I'll just read that one. It's precious. As he says, Verse, uh, it's 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that, co- that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This text is crucial because it, it anchors our pursuit of of purity in two ways. The first is this. When he says, therefore, since we have these promises, he's reminding us or, or helping us understand that as we set out to pursue purity, it's not some self improvement plan. It's not so that we could earn God's favor. We have already been completely accepted in Christ. We can't do anything that would help us be more favorable in his sight or more accepted in his sight. We are fully accepted, fully loved. He says, therefore, since we have these promises, so so just remember that promise again. I will be a father to you. You will be my son, my daughter says the Lord Almighty. What could it get any better than that? I was reflecting on this as he looks at you and says, son and daughter, our son Chad, 
he's, he's a man now. He's out. He's 21 years old. He's out in Guatemala. He doesn't need us anymore. But you know how many times during the day I think about him <laughs> and I pray for him. And, and every once in a while, Sherry will send a, a picture to Tam and I look for Chad, you know, and, I, and, I, and when I see him, I zoom in on him and I'm just like, what's, what's his face doing? Is he smiling? Is he happy? He's my son. I will be a father to them. They will be my sons and my daughters. Do you know last year, if you say, John, what were your top five moments of the year? One of my top five moments was getting to take a road trip with my daughter for 17 hours to deliver her down to, to her friends for spring break. And the joy of my life, joy of the year, I got to be with Jesse. <laughs> I just got to be with her. I look forward to those moments, and half the time she's asleep in the seat next to me, but I just look over and just get to be with her. The father says, you will be my sons and my daughters. Therefore, this desire to be pure, this desire to be like Christ, it's anchored in this relationship. It's, not, it's never about religion. But it's about a desire to love the one who loves me and to see him smile. To with the feeble attempt that I can bring to say, Father, thank you and, and I love you too. That's what fuels the purify. But the second thing that this text calls us to or anchors us in is found in the words, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and soul, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And do you feel the passion in that? This is all in. This is like when we see something that would hurt him or hurt those around us, violate the law of love or the word of God that he's given us, it's gone. It's gone. Everything. Like, it's just gone. And, and if there's a gray area, I'm out of the gray. I'm chasing what is, what is right before him. Why? Not because I, so that I can be this kind of person or earn it because I love him. This is what fuels our pursuit of purity. So as I was thinking about this this week and reading the text that call us to this, do you know one word jumped out of the Bible again and again and again? And it's one of those words, it's actually not a command, it's an ad adjective. So an adjective is a word that describes something. And this is the word that, that God would have describe each one of our inner worlds, our character. And today, as we think about what's it look like to purify our character, purify the, the decision-making thing in us, the, the, the will in us. I, I love the way Andy Stanley has one of the best definitions of a purified character that I've heard, and it's this, to do the right thing before God, even when it's hard. This word captures the, it's the adjective that would hang over somebody's life who is committed to doing the right thing even when it's hard. And it's found in Psalm 15, verse 1 and, and 2, one of the places it's found. But Psalm 15, David says, Lord, who may dwell in your, in your sacred tent? Meaning, who may be with you, live in your presence? Who may live on your holy mountain? And here it comes. The one whose walk is blameless. What if? We wake up each day chasing blameless. Not out of a desire to self-improvement or to earn God's favor, but out of love, chasing blameless. And when you dig into that word, as it's found throughout Scripture, you see 
it describes a person who is committed to doing what's right so that they're not, there's accusations are not coming at them or there's no charges of guilt against them. But it's more than that. It's a person who's living, not only pursuing the right thing, but so pursuing it that when an accusation comes at them, the people who know that person would say, they're above reproach or they're not even, I can't even imagine that person doing what you said they do because they so want to do what's right because they're pursuing um, what would be pleasing to God. As you think about people in scripture that God's given us to encourage us towards this, who's, who comes to your mind? And immediately Daniel jumped to my mind. You know, there he is, a fugitive in, in Babylon. And he, he start right off, chapter one says, he resolved in his heart not to defile himself. He, he wants to live blameless before his God. But then that moment comes, he gets elevated, his colleagues get jealous, and they, they decide, okay, we got to set this guy up and take him out. So they, they go into his life. And I love how the scripture says it in Daniel chapter six, verse four. It says that this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And as the story goes on, they they huddle, and don't you love their solution to the problem? Okay, we can't find corruption in this guy. He's blameless, so we're going to have to make what's right wrong. Because the only way we're going to get him to do what's wrong is if we make, make what's right wrong, and then he'll for sure do the wrong. And sure enough, they say, um, we're going to make a rule. Talk to king, and no one can pray to anyone but you, king. We know David prays three times a, a day to, to Yahweh, to his God, and he's going to keep doing it. We'll, we'll um, catch him up in that. And sure enough, and as a kid, I always wondered, why didn't David shut the curtains? Have you ever wondered that? Sure enough, he kneels right there in the window in front of everybody and prays. They come up, boom, he's headed to the lion's. Why didn't he shut the curtains? After thinking about it, I think it's because he loved his God. And he was going to let the chips fall. And if this was how he goes down, this is how he goes down. Because he loved his God with all his heart. Love it. Blameless. So when the church is birthed into a corrupt culture, and one of the most corrupt places in the first century was the island of Crete. Literally, one part of their, uh, some of their teachers said, you know who we are? This is our DNA as the island. We're a bunch of liars, lazy, gluttons, brutes, and, and that's just who we are. They were, they were claiming it. And so Paul, leader of the church, he's about to go, and he's, he's appointing leaders, and guess what the number one qualification of a pastor, elder, bishop that that he was sending. He says this to Titus. He said, Titus, go around the island and look for this kind of person. Guess what the word he uses to describe this kind of person? First, two times in the first uh, seven verses, find someone who is blameless, above reproach. So, So is this possible for us? Yes. And now you say, well, okay, is that just leaders? No, the leaders to set the pace for the team to say, guys, let's be living this direction. And when we turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, we see Paul expecting this of all followers of Christ, where he says in verse 8, he, he will also keep you firm to the end. And when he says he, it's speaking of Jesus, so that you will be, and here's the word again, blameless 
at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Granted, we are only blameless through the righteousness of Christ, and there's a positional blamelessness we have, but there's also a practical blamelessness we're to be pursuing. And then he says, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, if blameless is, is our calling, and if we, this vision of, all right, what if we all wake up chasing blameless for the glory of God, by his power, for his glory, how do we do that? What's that look like? And God in his word gives us a, a, a roadmap, which in Psalm 15, there's seven questions that we can ask of our lives that serve as kind of trail markers along this, this uh, path, helping us pursue blameless. And the first one is found there in uh, verse 2, right after, the, right after he says, the one whose walk is blameless, he describes it as he says, who does what is righteous. And so the first question that we ask ourselves or fire at our lives this morning, is this, is this right? This is our simple ethic. To say, is this the right thing to do? And to be on the right side of right, to, uh, is this right before God? The, the law of love often will, will dictate this. But in his word, we have, um, he, he fleshes out what, what, what is right as we interact with each other, as we live out our lives in this culture. One of the things that, that a follower of Christ will not ask, and that is, how close can I get to wrong without being wrong? And that's not um, what it looks like to live blameless. Rather, we're asking, is this right? And if whatever's right, I'm going that direction. So I was thinking about, early on in our Christian walk, that tendency to kind of get close to the line or live in the gray. I was thinking, it goes, why don't we, we live there? Why don't we even mess in that area? It's because of love, right? It's because we don't want to hurt the one who gave his life for us. And when you bring it into the marriage relationship, it makes sense. Imagine yesterday I met with a couple for premarital counseling, and imagine they, uh, the guy was like, hey, we're about to get married here coming up in March. And I love this girl I'm going to marry. I love this bride-to-be. But I also really like this other girl. So when I get married, how close can I be to this other girl without being wrong to this girl? So could I like have dinner with this girl a couple times a week, just a little dinner date together? Or if I spend like three weekends with this girl, with this bride, my wife, could I spend like one weekend with this other girl? That'd be okay. To which we'd be saying... If you love her, <laughs> you're not even thinking that question, right? No. Well, that's the blameless, right? And so it is in our relationship with God. We're, if it's even gray, we're saying, I'm gone. Why? Because I love her. I love him. No. And so is it right becomes our ethic and becomes our pursuit as we chase blameless. And then the second question we see in verse the second part of verse 2 where he says who speaks truth from his heart and this is the question am I being honest and this is a tough one isn't it as we were born liars we're born protecting ourselves by shading the truth Adam and Eve hid and it's just what we do when we have guilt or shame you don't have to teach a kid to lie do you we didn't Parents never had to explain to us, this is how you, we, we just do it. And the first 
It's interesting, one of the first steps out of the old nature, the old way. We see it in Ephesians chapter 4, where we put off the old, put on the new. Right, Ephesians chapter 4, 25, what's the first thing God calls us to? Verse 25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Why is this so important to be truthful? It's because what matters most is relationship, love for God, love for others. And what's at the core of relationship is trust. And what, what's, where do we have trust? Or where is trust built, formed, and maintained? It's in truth. And if we're being dishonest with God, if we're being dishonest with those around us, or even ourselves, the first step out of an addiction is being honest that I have an addiction, right? And naming it and saying, I am broken in this area. As long as we hide in the shadows of denial, say, I'm not that bad, it's not that big of an issue, we are sick. We're only as sick as our secrets, but as we come to be honest with God, others, ourself, that's where the healing begins. So I did an uncomfortable exercise this week with my own heart and said, okay, what if I invited the five people in my life I respect the most and love the most to walk through every corner and closet and room of my life, things I do, and they see everything. Which closet, corner, would I, I kind of want to hide? Shut that door. I, I, don't want, I don't want my son seeing this. This maybe not be right, wrong, but it, it's not something I'm real proud of. And so I'd hurry him by this. As you think about your own life, what, what area would you be wanting to just kind of hide, cover, be less than truthful with? And it's that thing that needs to go. Saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest with myself, authentic before God, and go and blameless with this. I'm going to let it go. Purify let us purify everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting reverence out of God. And then the third question is, is this slander? We see this in verse 3 as he moves into the realm of our, how he talks, says, whose tongue is, utters no slander and who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. So just asking the question as we talk, is this slander? Am I tearing others down by what I say? This was our focus a couple weeks ago, and just installing that filter out of Psalm 19. Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And then just resolving, I'm not going to do this. And when the conversation comes up and people start ripping on somebody's reputation when they're not there, I'm just not going, none of my words are going to tear people down. I'm chasing blameless in how I talk out of my love for God and those around me. And then the, the fourth question flows out of verse 4, where he says, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord. The idea here is, who am I respecting? We know Jesus said we're, we're to love our enemies, and even those who may be evil in our world, we're to love them and, and uh, care about their soul. But the question is, who do I respect? And we're not to be following people who or, or the really asking the question, am I, am I following somebody who would, uh, who's not following the way of blameless? As humans, how do we learn? We learn by imitation. 
And who do we imitate? Those we respect. And so it's just running a, a respect check on our soul every once in a while. At work, you know, who, who am I looking up to? And making sure we have the right people who are our North Star people or the people that, that we're chasing. And then the fifth question in verse, uh, second part of verse 4 says, Who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind? Or keeps a promise, keeps our word. And so the question to ask, am I keeping my word and my commitment? When I give my word, this checked me up when the kids were little as often they'd be coming up saying, Hey dad, can we do this, that? And I'd be like, yeah, we'll do that. And in my mind, it was, I was dropping it into that someday we'll do that category that I had no intention of doing that in the near future. And I, it hit me. If I don't intend to to do, to keep my word, I I should not say it and um, began to pray, Lord, help me just be a man of my word even to my kids, even in the little things, and, and then to think about that in the other things that I was saying. A great example of this playing out in our church family is the, uh, our Love Makes Room initiative, and just how, can you believe three years ago, we huddled as a team and said, all right, we think the Lord's leading us to expand our facility so that we can make room for people who don't have a church home yet, but it's going to mean sacrifice, and so we committed to 1.2 million dollars above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings to to this project that we would give over the three years and I know sacrificial giving for many of us now I remember sitting with the the uh, people who'd get the bank and other people and like is the church family good for this are they going to keep their word and you could feel the shakiness of this and in my heart like <clears throat> yep because it's about the one we're following. <clears throat> and um, I'm excited to share with you that we are three months away from the finish line, from running through that to hit that 1.2 goal. We, are, we have less than $100,000 left. And that's praise to God's provision for us, but that's also a well done to you, church family, for keeping your commitment. Because I know over three years, I know for our family, there have been many reasons to not keep that, but um, a person who's chasing blameless, a person of integrity and character does the right thing even when it's hard. So, so thank you for that. And then the next question we see in uh, verse 15a, where he says, who lends money to the poor without interest and who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. So the question to aim at our soul, am I, am I helping the poor in the week, am I standing up for what is right and what is just on behalf of those who can't stand up for themselves? Am I being an advocate for those who are in a place of weakness and vulnerability? And then the, the last question to fire at our soul is brings us full circle back to verse 2 where he says, the one whose walk is blameless. Picture that, just the walk. It's the way of their life. And the question that comes to, my, to our minds, am, am I chasing blameless? Is this my intention? Is this my desire that, that this adjective would be hanging over my life? It'd be mar- the, the, uh, the word that describes my character. And then notice how he ends it. He says, whoever does these things will never be shaken. How can he say that with such confidence? Whoever does these things, whoever's walk is blameless will never be shaken. How can he say it with such confidence? Back to verse 1. 
Because who does these things? Whose walk is blameless? Where do they dwell? In the, the, the sacred tent of the Almighty. Safest place on earth is blameless in the presence of our God. So, really neat story out of Daniel again that where we see this playing out in the lives of three young men who were unexpectedly elevated to a position of authority. We're about to hire a town manager here in Danville. Great opportunity to bless the community. Well, they were put as town, or not even town managers, but pro- over the certain province, provinces in Babylon. And they, weren't, they were Hebrews. This wasn't their, their native land. So great opportunity. Well, the King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to create culture where everyone was becoming a Babylonian and worshiping him. He builds that golden statue outside the city and says, anytime the music plays, everyone kneels and worships. So character test, right? Blameless. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego seeking to be blameless before God. But now what do you do when you're, you could lose your job and really your life over this? What do you do? Blameless. A commitment to the will to do what's right even when it's hard. And they don't bow. And so the king brings them in. Interesting, he brings them in, revealing they mattered to him. Normally, I, I would think most people, you just send them right to the fiery furnace. But these guys were important to the kingdom. He brings them in, and in his a bit of grace, gives them an uh, opportunity to, to change, a second chance. And he says, all right, this is what you will do. You're going to bow, or else. And their response if this doesn't light the fire, the, uh, the wood is wet. Check this out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from you, your, your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, even if he doesn't deliver us, you need to know, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And what's he do? He loses it. Heats the furnace up seven times hotter than it was. The guards that threw him in were dying. He throws them in, and he sees the fourth figure, the pre, what theologians think is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, walking with him, the angel of the Lord. And when they come back out, they didn't even smell like smoke. The one who does these things will never be shaken. But I can hear someone thinking, and I had this thought, but Lord, what about the person who stood up and did lose their job or did lose their life? What about John the Baptist who was chasing blameless and lost his life in his 30s to a a drunk tyrant, beheaded? What about Stephen who was chasing blameless and he gets stoned to death by the people who were supposed to be the religious leaders of the day? What about that? I, I thought you said here in the text that The one who does these things will never be shaken. Yes, and it's important to understand, what does shaken mean? What's shaken mean? And this is where we have a a longer view of really eternity. To be shaken is to be pulled off the path of God's will. To be pulled off the path of life. To be tempted to step off the path that is leading us into a a love relationship with our God and that will derail what he created us to derail down here. And we stop the process of being like Christ and being a blessing. That's what it means to be shaken. So conversely, to be unshakable, 
means as we do these things in faith by His power for the right reason, we will be faithful to walk step by step by step in the good, pleasing, perfect will of God through it all. As the tempter comes tempting us to to go this way, go that way, we're chasing blameless out of love for Him. And when we cross the finish line, that we'll be able to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what it means to live unshakable. And that's the possibility for us today. Isn't that awesome? And so we want to just close praying this prayer. And we'll just pray it together. It's scripture. It's the word of God. Father, we thank you that you are our God of peace. And I pray for my own heart and for each of my brothers and sisters here today that you would sanctify us through and through Purify us, Lord, to be more like Christ. We rest in you and your work in doing this. We pray that our whole spirit, soul, and body may be kept blameless. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus, if you were to come today, that you would find us chastened blameless. And then as we look at our own weaknesses and our own struggles and just the, the far, the distance we have to go. We rejoice in this promise. The one who calls us is faithful and he will do it. So Father, we thank you for these moments we've been able to share today as a church family. Lord, whatever it is in our hearts that we need to, to remove to purify, to whatever it is that's contaminating our body or our soul. Give us the grace to let it go. Give us a passion to chase blameless, even if we're the only ones chasing it. Help us to see the finish line, to keep our eyes fixed on you. As a church family, let us be an encouragement to each other. And when we huddle here on these Sundays and in small group that just remind each other, yeah, the, the world thinks we're crazy. People think we're crazy for doing the right thing, even when it's hard. But, but this is the path of life. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for showing us the way. And we pray this in your name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.